Good morning, everyone. So we were on vacation um, for about 10 days and got back last Saturday and were able to visit another church, but it's been really good to uh, be back with our church family and worship you. <laughs> not worship you. Definitely not. Sorry. <laughs> Love you. Don't worship you. Um, don't recommend that at all. Um, worship with you is so encouraging. Thank you to the worship team for leading us to the throne of grace um, and helping us be reminded of and encouraged by so much grace that we have in Christ. Um, also, so encouraging to see, if you didn't notice, Grace Masala walk in um, during the service. So that is um, to God be the glory, and we praise him for answers to prayer and um, also thankful for the, I know that you're thankful, Grace, you mentioned that in your note, but thankful for the church family and how people have come around you. But uh, so good to see you up and walking and um, healing up, and we'll continue to pray uh, with you and for you. So, all right, let's pray together, and then we're going to continue our uh, Prayers of Paul series. So, pray with me. Father, we thank you that we can come with confidence. If we are honest with ourselves, if we know our sin, if we know your holiness, it is a fearful thing to stand before you. We would be toast. We deserve your judgment. And yet, because of Jesus, because of his blood reconciling us to you, giving us peace with you, forgiving our sins, making us righteous in your sight, as you justify us, we can come with confidence as your beloved sons and daughters and expect to receive mercy and grace to help us in our need. That is amazing. And I pray that we wouldn't be indifferent to this incredible privilege that we have, access to you. You are our Father, and we are your children. You are our God, and we are your people. You are our shepherd, and we are the sheep of your flock. What an incredible blessing and privilege. Such resources available to us, and we can blow through day after day and ignore these rights and privileges and resources, and then we wonder why we struggle. So Lord, would you remind us of who you are in your ability and your willingness to give the grace, the mercy, the help that we need? Would you remind us of who we are and how needy and helpless we are without you? Would you teach us to pray, not so that we can log a certain number of hours or check off the boxes, but that we can tap into the resources that you desire to give us? that we can live on you and live for you in your strength. 
by your grace, for your glory, and the good of those around us. Lord, lead us to prayer, not only this morning, but day after day, like a shepherd leading sheep to quiet waters. And then lead us out into fruitful labor, empowered by your grace, following Jesus on the mission that he's called us to, to love the people that you have placed in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church family, as individuals and corporately, would you help us to redeem the time this summer? Whether that means at times redeeming it with good rest and recognizing our limits and welcoming that rest as a gift from your good hand, whether that redeeming the time means being intentional and missional because it affords more opportunities to spend time with neighbors and, and others. Lord, I pray that you'd give wisdom and strength to parents for how to best structure summer for kids for their good and the good of their families. That can be challenging. Lord, whatever wisdom, whatever help we need, help us to come to you and would you give us grace that we would spend this summer well. Lord, we thank you and praise you that Grace Masala walked in this morning. We thank you for how you preserved her life and how you are healing her, how you have already brought so much healing. And we just thank you for that and give you all the praise and glory. We thank you for the way that um, her family has cared for her. Um, we thank you for her church family and the many ways that people have cared for her well. And um, we just, again, give you the glory and we bless your name for all the love that was poured out. And we pray for full and complete healing for her. And Lord, we thank you that we can partner with the Campbells in France and we um, pray for them this morning. We pray for them as they spend some time in the States this summer and even as Isaiah is left here at the end of the summer um, as the third child out of the nest for them or give them grace for that transition, give Isaiah grace for that transition. Um, Lord, we know their heart is for people who don't yet know Jesus and they're asking for prayer for Yasin and Nadim and Matthias and Will and Kami and Bilu and Helder and Stephanie and Luca and Cynthia and Yuri and many others, friends of Morel from her Mother's Day outreach and the football team and, and so many others. Lord, would you water the seeds that have been sown and cause the growth? Lord, for those disciples there, the leaders there at Liberté, and um, would you grow them in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus? Help them to abide in Jesus so that they bear much fruit for Mimi and Fabrice and Pavi and Caroline and Patrick and Vero and Beatrice and Jay and Beth Vetter and Matt and Vivian Baumgartner. Please pour out your blessings on each of them. You know what each of them needs right now. 
And Lord, we also pray for unity in their church as they've experienced some challenges recently. And Lord, we pray for your provision for this summer, for a car, um, for the two months that they're in the Philly area, and for the money to continue to be able to rent the prayer house for this coming year. Um, So Lord, do all of that. Do above and beyond what we and they can even ask or think all for your glory. And now as we turn to your word, please help us. Help me, help all of us to humbly receive your word and be shaped and changed and encouraged and strengthened by it. Please don't allow it to be just information in one ear and out the other, but cause your word to sink down deep and transform us from the inside out. For our good, for your glory, for the good of those that you call us to love. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you were here last week, you know that we're going to do a short series here on the prayers of Paul. So there are more than four of them. We're only going to do this for four weeks. Um, But a couple of them that we left out, I think Russell mentioned this last week, Um, We're not going to do the two long, significant, meaty prayers in Ephesians because we walked through the book of Ephesians recently, I think about a year ago or so. Um, So here's week two. Last week was Colossians 1. If you didn't hear that one, I would encourage you to look it up online. It was excellent. Um, Really appreciate Russell's message on Colossians 1, 9 to 14. But I thought I would just mention three reasons. Like, why are we doing this series? What's the purpose of it? Well, let me give three primary reasons. There could be more. Um, But one, we are needier than we believe. And we need to be reminded of that. So John 15 is a good complementary passage to this one in Philippians 1 for a number of reasons. But one of those reasons is, did you catch that little phrase in verse 5 as Lydia read it? Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart apart from me, you can do nothing. Like, think about what that implies for how we ought to depend, how we need to depend on the Lord for grace and strength for every day. I mean, we can do a lot in our own strength, but we can't really produce fruit on our own steam. So we're needier than we believe. Secondly, God is more willing and more able to help us than we believe. Again, we may know the right answers, you know, head-wise, but heart-wise and the way that we live our lives, we can oftentimes kind of give way to, it's not going to make any difference. I got too much to do. God is way more able and willing to help us than we typically believe. So we read Hebrews 4, let us then with confidence in light of the character of God, in light of our great sympathetic high priest that we have, we should come with confidence and approach the throne of grace. We can expect to receive mercy and grace to help us in our need. Or James 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. So you've been an idiot and you need more wisdom? Okay, God's not gonna reproach you. Come and ask for wisdom and he'll give it to you. He'll give it to you wholeheartedly. 
Third reason, we need to learn how to pray. And what I mean by this here is what to pray for in terms of priorities. Or even we can learn the basis of our appeals or the purpose of our appeals. Um, But again, let's think in terms of priorities. We oftentimes pray the same old things about the same old things. And the Bible actually teaches us how to pray, not just, you know, well, you should get on your knees and you you should do it six times a day or seven times a day. No, it's what are the priorities and values What do you typically ask for? What do you typically thank God for? Those reveal your values and priorities. Are those in alignment with the priorities of prayer in the Bible? So Paul's prayers can be instructive to us to shape our priorities so that we know how to pray in terms of what to pray for. So, again, last week, Colossians 1, 9 to 14, um, excellent message by Russell. And one one of the things that he noted early on in the message was those two little words, and so. Remember this? And so is how that prayer starts out. In light of how God has been at work in the Colossian church, in light of their obvious faith and their faithfulness, Paul prays that they would grow even more and be fully pleasing to God. So oftentimes in our lives, what do we do? We don't pray until things are really bad. Russell made this point. Paul prays because things are good. There's a lesson there. Like that's a really good point. Well, guess what? Philippians, Paul does the same thing. So look with me now to Philippians 1. We're going to focus on 9 to 11, but let's look at the context in 3 to 8 first before we dive into 9 through 11. So Paul writes... I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul's writing this letter from prison. And they've stuck with him. For God is my witness how I yearn for you, all of you, with the affection of Christ Jesus. So obviously we can see that God has begun a great work in Philippi. These people are the real deal. They have partnered with him from the beginning. They're with him. They're for him. They're, they've supported his ministry. And so that's not reason for Paul to just, well, they're, they're fine. I'm going to go focus on somebody else. No, he prays that they would grow all the more. So let's look at the content of that prayer, verses 9 through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So that lesson that Russell pointed out last week, here it is again. Don't just pray for the, you know, when things are just in crisis mode, everything's falling apart. We should also pray when things are good for continued growth, whether that's for yourself 
or for those that you love. So are we learning this lesson? You know, Russell pointed it out last week. Here it is again. Has that made its way into your prayers, even this past week? The Bible is aimed at shaping our prayers and priorities. Is prayer merely, thank you for the food, please give us traveling mercies, please heal the sick, and beyond that, it only gets kicked up a notch when crisis strikes. So here's the point of mentioning that. If that's the case, what are we after? Like, what are our lives focused on? What are our priorities? I mean, it could be that maybe our faith is more like foxhole faith. We only start praying when the bullets are flying. Or fair weather faith, which whenever the storms hit, that's when we start praying. But if it's balmy and 70 with a slight breeze, like, we're not praying. For what it's worth, do you see that what you really want in both of those cases is the same thing? You want life to return to peaceful normalcy. And Paul gives us different priorities because the goal of life is not peaceful normalcy. The glory of God through mature discipleship is the goal, right? Think of our purpose statement. We exist to reflect God's infinite worth through Christ for the glory of his name and the good of all peoples and our values, gospel, community, and mission. So if those are our values and priorities, it will be reflected in our prayers. Our prayers are a window into our priorities. So let's dive in and see how this text should shape our priorities and values. All right, so point number one, what? So the uh, outline is fairly simple. What? Why? I need to look through here. Get to the next one. (laughs) Why again? How? Why? And so what? Okay? So I think this first one might be the longest one. So just to give you some orientation as we head in. So what? What are we praying for? Verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So Paul doesn't just pray that their love would abound. He prays that their love would abound more and more. So not only should our love not be minimalistic, like just merely adequate, passable, average, it should increase. It should abound, and it should do so more and more. If there's anything in life we should be maximalist in, It's this, in love. So what is love? Love is desiring, it's being committed to the good, the well-being, the best interest, even the joy of another. And God does not want our love to be tepid and half-hearted and moderate and minimalist and stingy and small and reluctant. He wants our love to be abundant and overflowing and maximalist which is like, I don't know, pretty convicting. Um, But you can see it flows naturally, supernaturally, from who he is. We've sung of the overflowing love of our God. God is love. And he's an infinite fountain of love, super abounding love that never fails, never runs out, never wears thin. 
So we were made in his image originally for loving relationship with him and with others, for his glory and for our good, and that image was shattered at the fall. But through Christ, we are being remade into the image of Christ for loving relationship with God and neighbor, especially our brothers and sisters, for God's glory and our good. So we are called to love because he first loved us. So the burden here, it's... the conviction of, man, my love's pretty weak. Yeah, okay, we're going to come away with some conviction this morning, I think, if we're paying attention. But the goal is not to beat you down into the ground. The goal is God has resources. He wants our love to abound, and he wants to give us grace so that it does. We are called to love because he first loved us. The more we see how he first loved us, the more we will be filled with his love to love others abundantly. We can love because he first loved us. But we do need to pray for this love because he is the source of it all. We can't just drum it up from within. So if we're going to have abounding love, love that abounds more and more, we're going to need to ask for it, Bethel. (laughs) So I, like I said, been convicted this this past week by this passage, but also encouraged. It's hope-giving, isn't it? Like, we, we can pray this prayer, and God can most certainly answer it. Like, do you ever feel like you're running on empty? You don't have to put up your hand, but I'm, I'm not just putting it up to prompt you. I oftentimes feel like I'm running on empty. Do you just wake up naturally, like, with love overflowing? Maybe some of you do. Do you walk through your day just abounding in love toward God, toward your family members, your spouse, your children, your community group members, your coworkers, your neighbors, even your friends? Probably not, but you can. We can grow in this. God wants us to grow in this. He'll help us grow in this. So notice that there's no object to the love Paul is praying for here. Pray that your love would abound, like love toward who? I think he likely left it ambiguous so as not to restrict it solely vertically or solely horizontally. Love of God and love of neighbor. Aren't those organically connected? What's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, the second is like it. It's like two sides of the same coin. We can't truly love others without knowing God and his love for us and loving him in return. And if we truly love God, it will inevitably be demonstrated in love for others. So we are desperately in need of this prayer and its answers, but we can be confident that God will answer it as we pray it. So our lives are not intended to be like a dry riverbed with barely a trickle of love, even though certainly oftentimes can feel that way. Our lives can and should be like a mighty river of love. But our lives should also be like a river of love in another sense. If there are no banks to a river, the water just creates a floodplain going all kinds of places that it shouldn't. So our love needs truth to shape and guide it. We need our love to abound with knowledge and all discernment. So with knowledge in the context of the book of Philippians refers to a mature grasp of the gospel. The gospel is at the center of this book. 
and all of its implications for life. And this discernment, all discernment, you know, that your love would abound still more and more in all discernment. It speaks of moral perception, like the ability to discern the loving, wise, righteous path across the full spectrum of life situations. In a sense, you could put these two things together and say another way that Paul refers to this in the book of Philippians is we have the mind of Christ. Okay? So the riverbanks of the mind of Christ don't stifle love. They guide it to flow strongly in the right direction. So, like, just to, for instance, the pursuit of this knowledge and discernment sounds like this in chapter 3 when the Apostle Paul says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So this truth is shaping all of Paul's life, and then he's actually loving the Philippians by helping them treasure Jesus like he does. So we don't want our love to be marked by lukewarmness, right? But we also don't want it to be marked by ignorance or insensitivity. Like we dare not allow our love to be mere sentimentality. Paul is praying for wise love. That's what we need. We need wise love. Love is not a lump of wax or clay to be shaped however we feel. True love is shaped and determined by God's truth. So only God's design, only God's wisdom, his paths, his righteousness can determine the contours of love. So we need to pray for abounding love and love that is shaped with knowledge and all discernment. So knowledge without love is dead and sterile, right? But love without knowledge and discernment is hollow, and it becomes empty sentimentality. So God is the source of both the abounding love and the wise application of truth to life. So Paul is praying these things, and so should we. Everybody with me? Okay, point number two. Why? Why do we need wise and abounding love? Well, look again in verse 9. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that, here's the first why, so that you may approve what is excellent. So we might tend to think that knowledge and logic and wisdom is what we need in order to determine what is best, most vital. You know, cool, calm analytics. And it's not that knowledge and wisdom are unimportant. Paul's praying for those things. But our motives matter. Our motive needs to be love. Love changes the calculations. In fact, oftentimes, love teaches us to stop calculating and move toward people in need regardless of the cost. So we can only approve, we can only discern what is excellent, what is best, what really matters. That's what Paul's getting at there. What's really vital when our love abounds with gospel-saturated wisdom and discernment. And this is obviously not some once-and-done prayer. This is a lifestyle, a lifetime of growth 
that we are after. We need to learn what's essential and what's not. We need to learn that this is central and that is not. We need to learn that this is vital and that is peripheral. This is what matters or doesn't matter or this matters more than that. Those kinds of things we've got to learn. We need love abounding, knowledge and discernment so that we can discern, approve what is best in any given situation. So, love has angles, it has contours, it's not just squishy sentimentality. Those lines and angles don't stifle love, they make it strong and real and substantial. But love is also patient and kind, covers a multitude of sins, it overlooks an offense. It doesn't hit the beloved with everything, everywhere, all at once. And we need wisdom to know how to do that. You you tracking with me? There's some tension here, right? Has angles and contours. It's not squishy sentimentality. There are lines and angles. And you don't hit people with everything all at once. God doesn't do that with you. You don't do that with a child. We need wisdom to know how to do that in parenting and friendship and discipleship and ministry and counseling and evangelism. So D.A. Carson, Don Carson, one of my teachers, says it well when he writes this in a book called A Call to Spiritual Reformation, which actually is a book about the prayers of Paul. So if you want a good book to read while we're going through this series, A Call to Spiritual Reformation by Don Carson is an excellent resource. He writes this. Paul's thought is that there are countless decisions in life where it is not a question of making a straightforward decision between right and wrong. What you need is the extraordinary discernment that helps you perceive how things differ and then make the best possible choice. That is what Paul means by choosing what is best. His point thus far then is that love shaped and honed by knowledge and moral insight is the absolute requirement for testing and approving what is best, for developing a sense of what is vital. Paul wants their hearts and minds to become profoundly Christian, for otherwise they will not discern and approve what is best. So what am I getting at here? What's he getting at here? Maybe some questions will help get at how pervasive and needful this is in our lives. How are you spending your time? Are you pursuing what is best? Like, You can see there's not one size fits all answer to that question, right? I can't answer that for you. You know, we could sit down and talk through stuff and you could give me some wisdom, I could give you some wisdom, but I can't answer that for you. You need love abounding and you need wisdom to answer that for your particular life situation. Or how about like, what have you read in the past six months? Again, that's not gonna be the same answer for everybody. Is love for God and others and wisdom guiding those choices? Are you merely reacting each day and letting the urgent tyrannize the important out of your life? How are your family relationships going? Is love for God and these family members abounding and being guided by gospel priorities and discernment? Or we can selfishly avoid difficult relational dynamics. We can passively sit back because we're at a loss. We don't know what to do. Do you see how relevant, practical this prayer is? (laughs) I need more love, Lord, and I need wisdom to know how 
to do this relationship. I need to know what's best. What's the next step? And there's no one-size-fits-all answer there. Or what does your witness look like for the last two months? Again, I don't have a cookie-cutter approach for this, but like, what should it look like? Lord, what should... I don't even care about my neighbors. I haven't even thought of them. I've been so bit... Do you see? Love abounding. How do I do this? Wisdom, discernment. How do you decide what you do with your money? Should you simply set it, forget it? You should probably do that with your 401k, but maybe not so much with your giving. You know? Well, 10%, one less thing I've got to think about. Okay, but do you ever think about, pray about what to do with the other 90%? Do you want to be a, a, a loving, wise steward of all that God gives to you? How about when do you overlook an offense and when do you confront an offense? Ooh. Like, where's that line? Oh, you crossed it, now I need to address it. Because it's a glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 19. But you can't just, like, sweep everything under the rug. You can't just ignore stuff. When, when, when does that end and this one start? Lord, cause my love to abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that I know. In counseling and discipleship, how much focus on treating wounds and when to train soldiers. Like, that could sound weird, but what I'm saying is whether you're raising a child or whether you're walking with someone and you're discipling them, when do you hit the gas pedal and when do you hit the brake? Is that always like a one-size-fits-all? When do you push somebody out of their comfort zone because they need to be pushed? And when do you, you know, operate with patience and grace and give them some time? Love is patient and kind. Love is also sometimes a kick in the pants. So we need wisdom there. I could multiply examples. Obviously, I think you get the idea. So we need abounding love. We need gospel truth and discernment to know what's best in a million different practical situations. How to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. So it's obvious selfishness, selfish ambition will undercut love. Selfishness will blind us to what is best, to what's most vital. So we need love to abound, right? I mean, actually, Paul's own... Ah, maybe I'll skip that. Okay. So discerning what is excellent is not a mere intellectual exercise. It's not an end to itself so we can answer test questions or something and get them all right. No. There are further purposes still, namely to be holy and to bear fruit. Look at point number three, the second why. So it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more so that you may approve what's excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness. So the first so that was that you may approve what is excellent, what's best. The second one is so you might be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. So when you and I, when we're able to discern and approve what's best, when love is our guide and our motive, we will be pure and blameless and filled with fruit. The word for purity there, pure, most likely refers to purity of motive, and you can see how that ties to the prayer for love. And blameless doesn't mean sinlessly perfect. 
It implies that you're not causing others to stumble. So if on the day of Christ you're going to be filled with the fruit of righteousness, now is the time to begin sowing, reaping, storing up that righteous harvest by asking the Lord for grace and help and then living in the strength that he supplies, the love and the wisdom that he supplies. So the fruit consists of the righteousness that marks someone who belongs to Jesus. Abounding love, gospel wisdom will empower and guide us like a running river to do what's right, and our lives will become fruitful. Paul's own example is instructive here. He says later on in chapter 1 that for him to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then he says, you know, truth be told, I'm kind of torn. I'd rather depart and be with Christ. That's way better. But to remain on for your progress and joy in the faith, that's more necessary. What should I choose? You know? He says, if I remain on in the flesh, it means fruitful labor. Fruitful labor. So, that's the fruit of righteousness. He needs wisdom. I really want to just go be home with Jesus. But my love is abounding, and God's given me wisdom, and I know I need to spend my life for the good of you Philippians. And my life to live is Christ, and to remain on in the flesh is fruitful labor. So he's filled with the fruit of righteousness. So that's the case for the Philippians. He's calling them by his example, and he's calling us. If we're a Christian, God has begun a good work in us. And as God continues this good work and carries it on to completion, we should pray that our love would abound more and more, that our lives will be filled. Why? Why do we pray this way? That our lives would be filled with the fruit of righteousness, our lives becoming pure in motive. We're not causing other people to stumble. We're actually loving other people, helping them. We're workers for their joy. We're laying our lives down for their good. And on the day of Christ Jesus, we're going to be filled with fruit. So 1, 9 to 11 is key to how God will continue and complete the good work that he began in us. It's how we will be ready to die and how we will be ready for the return of Christ. That's how important this prayer is in the context of the book. So we should want our lives to be filled with fruit, fruit of righteousness, but this is not like a do better, try harder message. That's not the gospel. It's not what Paul is talking about or praying for. He knows how this fruit is born in our lives. So look at verse 11 again, and we'll look at point four, the how. So his prayer is that our love would abound so that we would approve what's best, so that we'd be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness, the fruit that comes through Jesus Christ. So that little phrase, through Jesus Christ, is small. But it is everything. Again, John 15 that Lydia read. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Brothers and sisters, we can't do anything. We can't bear any fruit that will last unless we are vitally connected to abiding in Jesus Anything that is important 
Any fruit that, that will last is only going to come through Jesus Christ. His word abiding in us, us abiding in him, us depending on him, asking him for things. This prayer right here. So apart from me, we can do nothing. How in the world are we going to bear this fruit? Only through Jesus. So if we are going to live a life of wise love, we are going to need to know the love that is ours in Christ. And if you're familiar with the book of Philippians, you know how chapter two starts out? If you have any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, like if you have these gospel resources, then you'll be enabled to consider others' interests ahead of your own. You'll be able to love. So Jesus' sacrifice, though he was equal with God, he willingly became a servant, even to the point of death on a cross. His sacrifice for us is what enables our willing sacrifice for others. Love begets love. We can love because he first loved us. So we cry out every morning, satisfy us with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad in you all our days. So I have resources with which to love others. So Bethel, we need to know love if we're gonna be able to show love. We need divine power for our love so that it grows and it equals. In fact, not just equals, but outruns the demands of love that we're presented with on a daily basis. We need to pray, right? Because it's only going to come through Jesus Christ. Okay, why all of this holiness and fruitfulness that comes through Jesus? The last why here, point number five, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The giver of the grace gets the glory. The giver of the strength, the giver of the wisdom, the giver of the help gets the glory. The one who does the work gets the credit. So we pray, and then God works, and then we praise. And then we pray, and then we praise, and then we pray, and then we praise. Like, repeat. Again, our purpose statement, we exist to reflect God's infinite worth. He's the light, he's the sun, we're the moon. We will only radiate his life light if we are set on him. So we exist to reflect his infinite worth through Christ. It only happens through Christ. And when it does, it will be to the glory of his name. We will praise his name for his work in our lives, and it will be for the good of others as well. So this is the great purpose of this fruit that is born through abounding love is the praise and glory of God. All right, so now what? Last point. First, a word for any of you that are here that are not Christians yet. Uh, maybe you're wrestling with what you believe. I guess one thing I would encourage you to ponder is what do you believe about prayer? And maybe even to encourage you to be consistent. If there is no God, then guess what? Prayer is just wishful thinking. <laughs> it's just superstition, actually. Right? But if there is a God, why should he answer our prayers if we don't trust him 
about the central realities of life. So, in a sense, this passage should point you back to, okay, how do I stand before this God? Can I come with confidence? Like, if I'm a sinner, how do I stand before him without judgment? And that's where only Jesus can his blood shed for you on the cross, forgive your sins, reconcile you to God so that you can come with confidence. So I'd encourage you to just think through, what do I believe about prayer? What do I believe about God? What do I believe about Jesus? I am going to, if there is a God, I'm going to face him someday. And am I ready for that? Christians. I'm going to end here with a little alliteration because, you know, I keep getting a hard time about this, um, that I don't do alliteration. Well, I don't normally do alliteration because sometimes it seems a little cheesy, but um, Brian, that wasn't cheesy. That was so impressive earlier this morning. And Russell, your outline was so impressive. So for Christians, I want you to just think in terms of head, heart, habits, and how. Okay? Look at that. Boom. Four H's. Um, Head. Really simple. Brothers and sisters, we need to pursue the mind of Christ. We need wisdom and discernment and knowledge. The Bible needs to shape our priorities and discernment. Head implications from this passage. Heart implications. We need to pray for the love of God to fill us up. We need to yield up all that we are so that God can fill us up with his love. So there's a songwriter I like named Josh Garrels, and he just came out with a new song called All in All. And it goes like this, away from all the city lights and empty charms, searching for a place for something pure and true, led me here to the narrow path to you. I'm leaving it all for the glory of your love, your name. I give you all I've got to give until that day. Take the cross and follow you wherever you may go. You're my all in all. I was entangled in the world, and then I found you, my treasure, precious pearl. Now every kingdom, every dream, I count the cost. Compared to you, Lord, I count them all as loss. Philippians 3. I'm leaving it all for the glory of your love, your name. I give you all I've got to give until that day. Take the cross and follow you wherever you may go. You're my all in all, all in all. Your love is all that I want today. I surrender all that I am now for the sake of your love to follow you wherever you may go. I surrender all. You're my all in all. God wants our hearts so he can fill them with his love. And then habits. The only way that you and I are going to change is if we build new habits. This cannot be a one-off conviction, you know, this morning and a week's worth of change and then we scrap it. So we actually need to think seriously. Like if your prayer life is all out of whack or if, you know, there's serious ways in which you need to grow, I mean, we all do. You're going to need to take some time to think through, Lord, how do I do this? What's, what are even the baby steps? You might want to think in terms of time, place, and plan, okay? Just to get super practical here at the end. When do you pray? Like only when you're desperate? Well, maybe what you need to do is, Lord, would you show me how desperate I am like all the time? And then I would pray regularly. 
Or when do you pray time frame? Like, have you figured out how to build this in on the daily? So like time budgeting is kind of like money budgeting. You know, the whole illustration with the big rocks and the two, you know, the jar. And if you have big rocks and little rocks and sand, if you start with the sand and the little rocks, the big rocks are going to fit. Everybody with me here? But if you put the big rocks in and then the little rocks and then the sand, it all fits. Is prayer a big rock? We know it's a big rock. Is it a big rock in our lives? So, do you have a place? Do you have a plan? Like Russell mentioned, that app. What's it called, Russell? Where's he at? Prayer Mate. There are others. I use daily sheets, you know, and I keep them online, print them off, whatever. But no planning does not lead to spontaneity. It leads to lots of prayerless days. <laughs> so, again, just figuring out, like, how am I going to pray? with a plan. And then what do you pray? Like, let the Bible guide, shape your prayer. So maybe this is even just the new habit. Lord, help me to get into this habit, is whatever you read each day, let that turn into your prayer for the people in your life, like concentric circles, your own heart, your family, your community group, you know, however many concentric circles you have. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You read in Psalm 23, oh, Lord, I am so envious and covetous and discontent and you're praying Psalm 23 into your heart. Or you know that so-and-so is struggling with suffering. Help them know that you are with them even in the valley of the shadow of death that they wouldn't fear any evil. The Bible shaping your prayers as far as the content. And then also know that we don't have to just pray alone. Like pray with others. Don't try to just do all this on your own. Wednesday night prayer meeting plug, seven to eight, right there in that room. Well, not this week, because the building's gonna be closed down. Other end of the building, um, this Wednesday. So, anyway, I'm gonna wrap up here, but head, heart, habits, like how am I gonna build this in on a regular basis? So, Bethel, here's my encouragement, me with you, let's pray. And let's pray right now by praying Philippians 1, 9 to 11 together. So to replace the your with our and replace the you with we. And then we're going to continue praying by singing Take My Life. And let's sing that song as a prayer as well. But pray with me here. And it is my prayer that our love may abound. Join me. Let's pray this together. And it is our prayer that our love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that we may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To your praise and glory, O God. Amen.